Good morning. Welcome. Ken Graves is a pastor at uh, Calvary Chapel, Bangor, Maine, actually Orrington, Maine. Uh, there he is up there. He is a powerful speaker. He's a senior pastor. He is a keynote speaker uh, at men's conferences around the country. If you went to the men's retreat, men in this room, uh, you got to hear Friday night, you got to hear uh, from Ken Graves. He is a passionate supporter of missions, particularly in North and, and Central Africa. Uh, heavy Islamic areas, I mean, they go into some pretty dangerous places, uh, he and the, the groups that he supports. Uh, beyond that, I mean, he's just, he's a big dude. One of my favorite descriptions, my friend Austin Jackson. Austin had a chance to go to one of the conferences, and he met Ken Graves, and I'll never, it's just hilarious. We're talking at work, and he goes, man, I met Ken, and, and I went up, and I, and I shook his hand, and I'll never forget. He's like, have you ever tried to shake hands with a bundle of bananas? Ken's a, Ken's a pretty big dude, loud guy, boisterous, you know, practices uh, MMA, wrestles around and stuff like that. I mean, he is a, a tough guy, a man's man, and he's a poet. So I am, I'm going to read a, a poem uh, by Mr. Ken Graves. Now, up on the background, you're going to see a picture from Rembrandt. Uh, the storm on the Sea of Galilee. You, you guys know this story. This is Jesus, Jesus calming the storm. All right, and this is, this is Ken's poem based on that event. We really thought we knew him. We answered his call and we followed. A mismatched band of men, we were sailing off into tomorrow. I never knew a man to work so hard and spend himself like him. And at last I saw him finally lay down while his old light was growing dim. And darkness came, as did the wind. That lake became a beast that howled and roared and reached for us, thirteen mortals for its feast. All I believed now seemed to lie, and nothing made any sense. Waves of terror washed over my soul, each one even more intense. I felt my way to the back of the boat, to where I'd seen him lay. So human was he that in his fatigue, despite those pounding waves, he slept like a man unaware that there was any reason for fear, like one who knew just where he was going and what he was doing here. Then one angry thought broke through my fear as my panic reached its peak. It erupted out of the hostile question I could not help but speak. We're going to die, I cried out loud to the one who would lead us there. You said, let's go over, but we're going under. How is it you don't care? At first, he said nothing, but seemed to be struggling with a mind not fully awakened. Straight from his dream into our nightmare. Yet he wasn't the least bit shaken. Oh, he stood up suddenly and steadied himself. With one hand, he held to the ropes. Like holding the reins of a stallion, he rode that rising and falling boat. 
One hand on the ropes, one hand in the air as we cowered along the sides. He confronted that beast that caused us to cower, so frightened and terrified. The words that he spoke were not a request. They were not a victim's plea. His words were not louder than the howl of the wind or the roar of the Galilee. But his words carried power, undeniable power. Even the force of the wind had to flee. Mightier than the thunder of great waters. Mightier than the breakers of the sea. He spoke to that wind like it was a dog. He commanded, muzzled its jaw, and it fled with its tail tucked between its legs. We huddled in silence and awe. Everything was quiet upon hearing those words. The water, the earth, and the sky. Nothing more silent and speechless than we who just witnessed this with our eyes. The man who took lordship over nature, to whom nature immediately complied, now turned his gaze upon us little men just beginning to slowly arise. Why were you afraid? He asked us, how is it that you have no faith? We had no answer to give him. Looking back, we could only say that we were afraid of what was against us because we did not realize what manner of man this was that we followed and trusted with our very lives. We had no answer for his question to us. But we had many questions of our own. Someone finally spoke those words that still echo in my soul. What manner of man indeed is he? Still more than I can know. What manner of man is this. We turn to Scripture. We look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13. Another familiar, familiar story. Jesus comes into the district of Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Who do you say that I am. What manner of man is this? And what I'm going to propose to you this morning is identity is the issue. It's the issue. Matter of fact, all of eternity, all of creation hinges on this issue. Who is Jesus Christ? And your eternity, your destiny, it hinges on one question. Everything else is thrown Only one question. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? It's the only thing that matters. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, as we've been going through this series, I am, the sayings of Christ, Jesus has been telling us bit by bit a little bit about his identity. Week one, Jesus made it clear he's the Messiah, right? We, we looked at the, the woman at the well, and Jesus says, I am the Messiah. He talked about being the, the bread of life. And last week, he talked about being from, from above. Now today, this, this, this message, he's going to make probably, I don't even think probably, he's going to make the biggest claim of all. But you and I, we have to be careful in this room because if we're not paying attention, we're going to miss this. And the people that miss this, you're, you're going to understand there's some trouble here because again, all of eternity hinges on this one question. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? So we're do what we always do. I'm going to read the scripture. And then we'll start breaking it down piece by piece. So here we go. We'll jump right into this thing. John chapter 8, if you want to get out your Bibles and turn, we're going to be at the very end, the last section in your scriptures, if they got the little subheadings, very last spot. And it's going to be John 8, 48 through 59. Here we go. The Jews answered. Now, you got to understand, Jesus has been debating. These Pharisees have been debating. And, you know, Jesus does what he always do. does. They try to tear him down and they come with the question and Jesus sort of answers the question but then he cuts to the heart of what the issue is and they're trying to trap Jesus they're trying to do anything uh, to discredit Jesus in front of the crowds because Jesus is Jesus and people are drawn to him and they're they're, they're asking some questions and they're they're seeing his wisdom and, and they're seeing him and so they're just trying to to prevent Jesus from messing up what they've got going on and as they do, we pick this up again. John 48, 48, 59. Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we, we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad, yet the Jews said to him, so the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Pulled a, a Jesus trick. He does this a couple times. He just, yeah, no big deal. Disappears. So we're going to start with Dealing with identity, right? Who, who the Pharisees said 
Jesus was. And we'll, we'll just jump right back into the Scripture. Who the Pharisees said, The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So you got to understand, here's, here's Jesus, and he's talking to these Pharisees and these, these Jewish leaders. And you got to understand, man, they're just, they're really taking a shot at Jesus here. Jews and Samaritans didn't have any deal. We've, we've confronted that just a couple weeks ago when we looked at the Samaritan at the well. We, we kind of talked through that. And they just, man, Jesus just looked at Samaritans as half-breeds. You didn't have nothing to do. I mean, this was a, this was a low blow, Jesus Aren't we right in saying you're, you're a Samaritan with a demon? Now, we know that's not true. Jesus was, was born in Bethlehem and come out of Nazareth. Like, we, we can trace. If you guys ever read the first part of Matthew and you're like, he begat, 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 and you're like, what in the world? It, it's important. Every single one of those. When you read through those, that's God's promises. That's God's promises. Promise, promise, promise. Coming true, tracing all the way through, tracing, identifying Jesus as in the lineage of David. It's important. So Jesus just answers. It, and he cuts to the first. He goes, ah, I, I do not have a demon. He says, are, are we not right in saying you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus says, no, you're not, you're not right. I don't have a demon. And then he goes on. He says, but I honor, are you ready for this? My father. Very personal. I honor my, a, a, a line is drawn, and, and man, if I had another hour and a half, I would have loved to pick up some verses just before this, where he talks about uh, my God and, and your God, you're, you're, a, you're a children of the devil. We're not all God's children. Like, there's, there's separation here, and Jesus is saying, look, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I honor my, my father. He's not your father. He's, he's mine. Yet you dishonor me. He says, I don't seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. He's a judge. And then he gets, truly, truly. Anytime you see that phrase, pay attention. Jesus is trying to tell you. He's communicating something big here. I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, did you catch that? Jesus did not say, if anyone keeps God's word, these Pharisees, they built their whole structure on the idea, A, that they kept the commandments and they kept them perfectly. That was who they were. They were, you know, they were, they were special people because they lived out this thing perfectly, every one of them commandments. They did, and that's their God's people. He owes them. And Jesus is sitting there saying, whoa, 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 you don't know him. And uh, if anyone keeps my word, his word. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty big claim. They will never see death. And these, these Pharisees, what, what I want you to catch is, first of all, Jesus is establishing his identity as God's son. My father. Not like our father. Our father, yes, God is our father in the sense that if you are a Christian, if you've been saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, what does Paul say? You have been adopted as sons and daughters. We are God's children. And man, that's special. That is a privileged, honored position that we could be called that. But understand, Jesus, when he said, my father, there's no adoption papers there. You get it? There's an exclusive relationship there that you and I don't quite participate in the same way. Jesus is establishing his identity as God's son. Now, the Pharisees... And their response, they, they just, they cannot, 
They cannot get past the natural. Okay, so they, are, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Are you bigger than Abraham? I mean, and the, and the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? In other words, all the parents in the room have probably said this. Who do you think that you are? Jesus, who do you think that you are? And Jesus responds. If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. That is one of the ugliest couple of sentences that you you say he is our God, but you don't know him. It makes me think of a, another passage in Matthew 7 where he, why do you, many will come and he'll say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And he'll say, uh, I never knew you. This is a scary phrase that Jesus is saying. We don't, we don't, we need to, we need to, pick, we need to file that away. We're going to come back to that. We need to listen. Jesus says, but you, you have not known him. He says, I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. Now, you guys, I mean, you don't have to be rocket scientists. You guys probably know at least enough of the Ten Commandments to know you're not supposed to lie. And here are these Pharisees who built their whole identity. Their identity is built on how good they are because they fulfilled all the commandments. And here's Jesus saying, you're a liar. Big words. Says, and, and oh yeah, liar like you, but I know him and uh, I keep his word. Not only you're a liar, I, you say you keep his word. I, I actually do that. And he goes on. Oh, you want to talk about Abraham? He goes, your, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Now, I want to catch this. First of all, Jesus is, is establishing right there. He's establishing his identity as the promised Messiah. But I want you guys to catch, before we skip too far past it, he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day in glad. Look, parents, especially, everybody in here, there's someone else in here who's having that same question. You know, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It can't be any more exclusive. It's why this is all so important, okay? It really, really is. We're, I can't wait. We're almost to the end. We're almost there. We're almost there. But, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. So here comes the question, right? I'm a kid or I'm new to the faith and this is my question. Wait a minute. If Jesus says I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the father except through me, then uh, what about David or what about Abraham? What about those guys? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. So here is Jesus at the, at the center of history, right? And you and I, we're over here on the timeline. And we look back from our perspective in history to Christ. And we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And the work, the atoning sacrifice that he did for us. We look back to Jesus from where we are in history. And we've got lots of information. Matter of fact, I'll tell you from our place in history, there is zero excuse. 
ever, for anybody that lives in our generation, there is so much evidence. Oh, we, we got a name, Jesus of Nazareth. Are you kidding? We got the whole thing laid out for us. You know, you got his word completely compiled right there. We can investigate it. We can pray. God can show us. He has revealed himself to us in the easiest possible way. We got no excuse, none. Now, way over here, this is us, our place in history. Now, way over here is Abraham. Now, he had a lot less. He didn't even have the name. Now, he did, though, he had a promise. Matter of fact, even all the way back to the Adam and Eve had a promise from God. One day, one, we, just, we just watched the video, right? One day, one of your descendants will crush the serpent. They had a promise. So when we're over here, we're looking back. They were looking forward to the promise of God. They are also saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus. They may not have had the name, but they had the promise, and they looked forward with faith. It took a lot more faith. In my little piddly estimation, they had none of the details. You and I get to look back with a lot of details. No excuse, man. None. But ultimately, how are those Old Testaments? Oh, they looked forward to the promise in the same way that you and I look back. There's your answer. Your father Abraham rejoiced, and he saw it. Well, there's a whole other thing if the Sadducees were listening about the resurrection, that people are still alive. <laughs> you know, he saw it, and he was glad. And what Jesus is, again, establishing, he is the promised Messiah. Of course, Abraham, he was looking forward to that the whole time. But the Jews, boy, they, they really, again, they can't get out of thinking naturally. In our increasingly secular society where we want to file everything as chemical reactions and natural, we should be able to relate to these people. Um, the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. You're not even 50, Jesus. And you've seen Abraham all those thousands of years? What are you, what are you talking about? In other words, have you completely lost it, Jesus? Saying earlier, I wish I had a mic that I could drop. Because Jesus is going to respond, and man, it's like, it's the mic drop. Jesus says, Truly, truly, there's those words again. Pay attention, pay attention. I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, there's some people in this room that are like, yeah, what? And then some people are like, what? I am? What's, what's, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is, let's go, let's go back a little bit. First of all, Jesus is establishing here his identity as God. In the most vocal, visible, easy to possible way, as Yahweh, as the eternally pre-existent God of the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm him, and I can prove it. It's not, whatever. If a guy stands up here and tells you stuff, look, it better be in the book, okay? <laughs> well, it's in the book, so let's go, let's go back. Exodus 3, chapter 13 and 14. So you guys heard of this guy named Moses. Moses, little baby, floating down a river. The princess of Egypt finds him. He grows up a royal. He uh, sees his people, the Hebrews, getting abused. He kills, a sl kills the guy that's, that's whipping the Hebrews. And the Hebrews look at him and say, you murderer. 
So what does Moses do? He splits. And he runs for the border. He goes out and he, he hangs out in this place called Midian, meets these, meets these folks at a well, gets to marry a lady, and ends up being a shepherd, taking care of this, this prophet's animals. And as he's out doing his shepherding duties, he sees a bush burning. You guys have seen the movie, right? I think it probably looked cooler than any movie that we got. I, I don't even know what a burning, regardless, there's this bush that's on fire, but it's not consumed, and it's enough that it grabbed, the, you know, God used that to grab Moses' attention. And Moses walks up to this bush, and he's and curious, and God speaks to him out of the verse. Take your shoes off. You're on holy ground. And God begins to lay out for Moses a calling. I, I want you to go back to Egypt. Now, has anybody in here ever done something wrong? I'll make it really, have you done something wrong as a kid? Like you got the cookie out of the cookie jar, right? You don't return to the scene of the crime. And God is talking to Moses. He's like, look, I want, you got it. You're going back. You're going to go back and you're going to set my people free. And Moses is trying to understand all this. And he goes through a, a, a long list of, of things. But as he begins, he's picked this up. Chapter 3, uh, verses 13 and 14. Moses says to God, If I come to the people of Israel, and I say to them, and I like if. You notice that? Moses hadn't agreed to nothing. He's like, if I do that, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? What is your identity? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said to them, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's a big statement. Like, God is not apologizing for just existing. If you ever read the first three words of the Bible, it starts like this. In the beginning, God. Like, God just says, I'm here. He doesn't, <laughs> like, there's no, in the beginning, God was, no, God, God is eternal. And he can just say, you and I can't say I am. We have a beginning, we have an end. God says, I am. You tell him, I am sent you. And I get to use my, my fancy theological word. You guys get to use this. This is your challenge. I want you to use it in a sentence this week, and you're out there in the real world. It is the tetragrammaton. So as you guys are reading through your books, you're going to see, you notice in that I am, it was all capitalized. They didn't use, they, 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 they took the words and they removed some vowels. In other words, you did not use God's name. Matter of fact, the only time anybody would ever actually read that is if they were like literally reading the scripture. You didn't just say, I am. You'd find a different way to say whatever you were, if you were saying, I'm going to the baseball game, all right, you're going to say that differently. You're not using that phrase. It was such a, they went through links to avoid using God's name in vain completely different from our universe that we live in right now. They were passionate about it. And here is Jesus standing in front of them saying, I am. 
Now, well, Sean, that's just a thing. I don't know that that means what you're saying. It means maybe you're just connected. Well, let's, let's see how the Jews responded. How did the Jews respond? They picked up stones to throw at him. And Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Well, because of blasphemy. Because Jesus was saying, I am God. Don't believe me? Well, let's go back even further. Leviticus, chapter 24, verses 10 through 16. Laws being laid out here. And here we go. An Israelite woman's son, whose father was an Egyptian, went out among the people of Israel. And the Israelite woman's son and a man of Israel fought in the camp. And the Israelite woman's son blasphemed first time the name. And he cursed. Where's my blue collar, guys? How many times have you heard somebody blast? Oh, I hit my finger with the hammer. <laughs> he got in a fight and he said those words. He blasphemed the name. We can wrap our minds around that happening. So they brought him to Moses. And his mother's name was Shelemoth, the daughter of Debri of the tribe. Of, in other words, this is real people. You, you know this family. This is, this is historically accurate. Like, this is, this is the people. You can go talk to them. And they put him in custody till the will of the Lord, there's the name, should be clear to them. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring out of the camp the one who cursed, and let all who heard him lay their hands on his head, and let all the congregation stone him, and speak to the people of Israel, saying, whoever curses his, God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him. The sojourners as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name five times, five times, says, you do not use my, there's no OMGs, man. You get what I'm saying? You do not use that name. They invented other ways. They capitalized Lord. You see that in your Bible? That's the Tetragrammaton. They said Adonai. They said all these other things. They did not say that name. Do not use the Lord God's name in vain. And we just type OMG like it's no big deal. We, some things we could use a little more reverence on. They wanted to stone Jesus for blasphemy. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. He was saying, I am here. I am. I am. What's the point? What is, I mean, okay. Well, Jesus' power and his authority are rooted in his divine identity. Jesus is the only one that has the authority to lay down his life and to pick it back up again. You and I can't do that. Jesus can pay the price for my sin. He can do that. He did live that. He can do that. I cannot do that. Jesus can make a promise to say, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And man, I can rest in his promise. Why? Because of who he is. Nobody else can say that. Only Jesus. 
because of who he is, because identity as God with us. But what's the point, right? We keep going. Well, here's the issue. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. But do you know that there's a lot of Jesuses out there? You guys know about this? Heck, there's a guy in London that'll tell you he is Jesus. And people go and visit this dude. There's a guy in Brazil. David Koresh would tell you that he was Jesus. But is that Jesus? I mean, if I put my faith in that Jesus, and Jesus, the Jesus, says that, well, then I'm in big trouble here. If I believe, if, if I put my faith in the Jesus of the Mormon church or the Jehovah Witnesses, that's not Jesus. That's not him. Do you understand? It's not him. And if, if he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except me, I'm in big trouble here. I got to know who Jesus is. And here's what's scary. Okay, it's okay. What about the, 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 the prosperity teacher that'll say, oh, Jesus wants your, your best life now, and that's what it's all about? Wait a minute. That's not the Jesus of the Bible. That, Jesus says a whole different thing. His, his apostles were murdered. I mean, Jesus says, I've come to, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Like, that's the good place. Your best life's to come, not now. That's a different Jesus. I can't put, if I put my trust in that Jesus, I'm in trouble. It matters. His identity matters. And I'll tell you what, here's, okay, so we can look out. And we can say, oh, well, this, out there and out there and out there. But let's go back. Let's go back. What, what does it say here? Um, it is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. What about the Jesus that we make in our mind? Is it Him? I mean, we love the Jesus that says, Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Love the Jesus that says, uh, let the children come to me. Love the Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We love that Jesus. But what about the Jesus that makes the whip? What about the Jesus that says, uh, many of you will say, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I never knew you. What about the Jesus in Revelation that says outside are the sexually immoral, the idolaters? And what about that? Because it's the same Jesus. It's in the book. That's Jesus. Who do you say is Jesus Christ? Because the Jesus that we invent, the Jesus that anybody invents, the Jesus that works at the hardware store, that guy is not going to save you. It is the God of the Bible. It is Jesus Christ as he presents himself. And him alone. It matters. It absolutely matters. So maybe as you're 
listening, you're like, well, man, I don't know. Do I got this thing right? Well, look. You want to know Jesus? He's right here. This whole Bible points to him. Everything here. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to be confused. God's made himself known. It's it's amazing. But do you know him? Who in your heart do you say that he is? And and, okay, we've gotten off a, a track maybe, maybe. Peter and the boys are... It's after the resurrection, they're meeting up in this upper room and, and the day of Pentecost comes and, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him and, and they come out and the people are like, what is the matter with these guys? And, and it, it, it's the launching room, right? Where Peter is able to give the first sermon. And man, you want to talk about a scathing sermon? Boy, this is tough. You won't see us up here very often preaching like that towards you guys. This is tough, challenging. Like they're, they're basically saying, you're all going to hell. This is tough. You killed him. This is tough, what Peter's preaching. And the people that are listening were cut to the heart. And their response was, what shall we do? In other words, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying, and something's wrong here in my heart. What, What shall I do? Peter responds, Repent, fancy church word that says, uh, I was heading in the wrong direction. I was heading away from God. I'm going to turn around and and look at Christ, and I'm just going to start walking in that direction. Repent. Believe. Believe in Jesus, the real Jesus. Not some construct out there in the never-never land. Not some construct I made up in my head. That's idolatry. But Jesus Christ. What does that look like in our, in our lives, right? Like, if I say, who do you say that Jesus is? And you've got the, the right answer, right? What does that look like in my day-to-day life? Well, Maybe for some of you, it might be taking that first step towards uh, battling porn or alcohol or drug addiction. Maybe that's your, your, your struggle. Who do you say that Jesus is? Maybe it means doing the right thing at work. I mean, we could all take shortcuts, right? This thing, that thing, you know, would not do our best. But, but the Bible tells us, oh, well, to do our, do our best to present ourselves as workers uh, before God. Like we were serving God, right? Who do you say that God is? How does your life reflect that? Maybe it means putting the needs of my wife, my husband, or my kids ahead of my own. The selfie culture not being so selfish. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Maybe it means to uh, serve Christ by loving those in the world around me. Looking not just in my family, but looking around. Maybe it's the guy at Walmart. I'm going to try to help him. 
Give him some food. Try to share Christ with him. Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? And maybe it means speaking the truth in love. Even when what you have to say is not what someone wants to hear in this culture, in this time. You want to talk about taking, it takes some courage. It takes courage to share the truth. It takes courage to talk about the morals Jesus taught. It, it's a, in this culture, who do you say that the Lord is? Who do you say he is?